and welcome to On The Mic. Look, it's comedian Rob Brown. Wow, welcome he's here. Welcome to On The Mic. Great to see you, you again. You too, my friend. I know. It's a long time between <laughs> drinks, my friend. The last time we did a podcast was in LA at it your was. house. It was, my house. In between gigs at the comedy store, the improv. You know, playing your shows. Yeah. Now yeah. you're back in Australia. You've yeah, got finally. Your, your business, corporatecomedians.com.au, where you're hiring out everyone from Dave Hughes to Akmal Sali, and maybe Absolutely. I might get the odd MC job. I noticed I'm not on the website, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> and you've got such an amazing life that we didn't really talk about a lot of those years ago in LA. Yes. And I was always thinking about, I oh, really wish we talked about Iraq, how you were training the police forces over there. Yeah, crazy. How you had... Like so many near-death experiences over there and the messed up stuff that happened. You lived in a caravan park. Yeah. And of course, playing all those incredible comedy shows over the years. So, yes. dude, there's a lot going on in Australia right now as well, which we need to talk. Like that, we just watched the Pauline Hansen documentary. I only watched part two, you watched part one. And like, uh, they're selling us out to the NRA. They're trying to get, get guns in, in Australian crazy people's hands again so we're going to have more massacres. It's like, what is going on? Well, I love I love that uh, Pauline's interview last night, where she said, or this, sorry, her statement, where she came out. She said she has never, ever accepted funds from the NRMA, and uh, <laughs> and you go, oh, clever! I, like, I see what yeah, you did yeah, there. Exactly. I see that. Yeah, Great. She, she's tricked us all. But she's onto it. Not even for roadside assistance. No, nothing. Anything, anything like that. It's Man, like that- it's like when Abbott said he wasn't going to cut funding to the ABC or SBS. He didn't. He cut it to the ABC and SBS. So. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, you've just got to listen to what they're saying. Listen to the words. If you haven't watched this documentary series on Al Jazeera, it's uh, two episodes and I believe they have a little bit more footage. Do yourself a favour and just see. If, if, if not, you're, you're against Pauline Hanson or One Nation or whatever, just watch it to see some behind-the-scenes dealings between political parties and one of the biggest donations to political donators to political parties in the world, the, the NRMA. <laughs> the NRA. And, and, and see how dodgy these guys can be with, with, with the reasons behind wanting all this money. And, and you, you just told me before off air um, that, that apparently uh, Pauline was saying, I want to see all the footage. Yeah, Pauline, Pauline Hanson has come out and said this is nothing more than a hit job. Uh, she's been, you know, tricked into revealing what sort of a monster she is. And uh, she's, she's not, she's not going to stand back and cop that. And... Uh, and and she said we they wanted all of Al Jazeera's three years worth of footage and data released, and Al Jazeera said I don't think they want that, uh, but we'll do that. And uh, so that'll be concerning. If you're watching anywhere else in the world, uh, Pauline Hanson, she's a right wing politician. She uh, used to own a fish and chip shop in Ipswich, yep. and decided that there was. Back then, I think it was too many Asians in it Australia was Asians. taking over. Yeah, they were the fear. And there's like the Muslims are taking over. Yep. Uh, the politicians are all dodgy. It's all, all the fear fear tactics. And uh, and now she's just been busted uh, in a sting set up by Al Jazeera. Yep. That had a hidden camera. They even uh, made up a uh, gun association guy to, yep. to actually infiltrate One Nation and, and make out, yeah, I want guns. I'm going to introduce you to the, the NRA. And... That guy, had, wow, <laughs> that's commitment. But yeah, for, yeah. For three or four years yeah, to like yeah. pretend to be a shooter and a you know, well, you know, loving a gun guns, advocate. Yeah, just yeah, so get in there and dangle the carrot. I mean, One Nation. I mean, they'd probably be struggling for donations as it is. But for some oh, guy for to come sure. in and say, "Hey, you want to get some millions? I, I reckon I can get it through the uh, the NRA." I want to see more of it because it's it's so addictive watching it last oh, night and, and just 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 being a fly on the wall. I mean, I've worked on a few shows where you're a fly on the wall and you get to listen to people's conversation when they forget the cameras are on. These guys didn't know, and the things that they say are just shocking. You haven't seen part two, no, I haven't of, of this series, 
And the big tall dude with the glasses, he's a, the Queensland politician. Steve in, Dixon. Uh, yeah, I think it's his Steve, name. He, um, he's talking about, oh, I can't wait to get in my big house and just have every gun imaginable and just fire them off into the ocean and kill anything that, that comes near, near my house to protect myself. Yeah, it sounds stable, doesn't it? It sounds like a mentally stable person you want representing you. you know? Unbelievable. And... And just, just when they're having the meetings with the, the NRA and the NRA saying, oh, we want four or five articles a week, uh, you know, as long as you've got like a, a journalist who's, a, this is in uh, episode two that you haven't seen yet, a journalist in your back pocket that you, we can uh, feed the stories to and, um, and they can just print them. But it'll, it'll be under the journalist's name. Right. Because they, and, and this is what the lady said, because they, they don't have time to uh, do all the research and, and write this stuff. So we'll write it for them and we, we can just... Um, you know, make the donations to make this stuff happen. And they're talking about uh, if there's a, a massacre, the things that they say to... Yeah. And then they're saying, you know, give them an inch. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll take a mile so you don't give them one gun. And you guys have got a lot of work to do. And yeah, it's so full on. Well, it, look, well I think what it highlighted for me was that the, NR, the NRA has come out and said throughout <laughs> in, the, in the first yeah. series, they came out and said, you know, Australia is... It's not a good example for us because everyone keeps throwing it up in their face that mm. we had a, and we've had more than one massacre. We'd had yeah. a few massacres. Yeah. Port yeah. Arthur was the worst the world had ever seen mm. by a single gunman in a in a non wartime mm. period, and he killed thirty five people. It was nineteen ninety six, and um, regardless of what you think of Howard, he implemented a policy that has resulted in zero mm. massacres since then. Yeah. So zero when so, you consider America. Mm had almost one a day last year. And a mass shooting is more than four, yeah. you know, more than four people killed. Yeah. Um, we haven't had one of those in 30 years. Mm. Oh, sorry, in 20-odd years. Mm. Uh, America has more than uh, close to one a day. Yeah, my godfather was in the Liberal Party back then and um, there was a lot of people. He was actually, uh, his electorate was Queensland, uh, halfway down the Gold Coast. Yep. And uh, he had a lot of people contacting his office saying, you know, this is a joke. You know, they can't take my guns away. You know, stuff that you'd expect. And he was like, this is it. You know, we're, we're not, we're not going to get in this, this yep. election. And they just made it by the skin of their teeth. And that's a ballsy move for a politician yep. to Well, just to Jacinda Ardern has just done the same thing yeah. in New Zealand. You know, she hasn't mm. dilly-dallied. She hasn't, you know... She's copied lead. She, she's just gone, yeah. yeah, yeah. She's gone, well, that works. Mm. Um, that'll well, stop this. Do you, do you think... Well, if, if if we didn't have those gun laws, then maybe that guy, we don't want to say his name, would have come over here and committed the atrocities well, he, in Australia. He would have done them here. Yeah, exactly. I, I, look, the reality is that we uh, we have not had a massacre since the banning of of um, semi and fully automatic weapons and, and military style rifles. So we, we banned yeah. those and we haven't had a massacre since. Yeah. Now... Uh, in the first episode, the uh, One Nation um, guy, Steve Dixon, I think his name is, mm. he he came out and was telling the members of the NRA and any other, anyone else that would listen that mm. in Australia it's horrible. Yeah. The violence here is just out. There are people mm. having Africans break mm. into their houses with baseball bats yeah. and beating them to death. Yeah, but no yeah. one was beaten to death with a baseball bat. No, so, no. so was a couple. Someone got their car stolen. Yeah, I yeah. think. Well, which is like there was no being, guns. No, no, <laughs> no, no, no one no, died. No. No, there was no, there was no massacre. Well, I mean, and we've we've had horrible things happen, yeah, that, you know. But you know, people go, well, you what? What if you ban a knife next? What do you ban knives next? What do you ban cars next? Ban fists. Ban fists. Your fists yeah, are banned. Well, that's that's a yeah. But look, the, the the problem is this: is that cars 
and knives and uh, other baseball bats are not designed to kill people. Mm. In fact, car manufacturers go to a lot of expense to prevent the deaths of people, mm. you know. So, um, <laughs> the, the, a gun, if used correctly, mm. if you follow the instructions, you should kill someone yeah. or something. And, and, and something else that they were saying in the, the doco last night, no, we, we, ne- we never talk about, uh, you know, taking weapons of people. You're going to lose your weapon. We say, you know, you're not going to be able to, f- be able to fish or hunt. You know, yes. we talk about fishing and hunting. We yes. don't. We don't talk about having a weapon or taking no. taking your gun away from you. It's just 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 for hunting yeah. and fishing. Yeah, it just depends what you're hunting. You know, uh, pigs or deers or people. Anyway, you got to watch it because you see what a bunch of horrible people the the NRA are. Yeah, and and how all all they care about is is money. Anyway, watch it. It's uh, it's an eye opener, that's for sure. Uh, and and I really think that it's it's not going to uh, it's not going to take too many seats away from Pauline Hanson and One Nation because no. you know they 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 really uh, their fans have dug dug their heels in and they she hasn't even watched a documentary herself. Yeah, I don't. I, I find that a little hard to believe. Mm. And and I think you're right. I think that Pauline Hanson's fans or One Nation fans are, are pro gun for the majority for the most part. They are anti immigration for the most part. They are anti-Muslim for the mm. most part. You know, I think that's... So, so there's nothing... Mm. You know, if Pauline Hanson had slipped out that she actually wants to care for people, that mm. may have lost her some votes. Mm. <laughs> you know, if, uh, if she said she actually wants to increase the minimum wage to allow people opportunities to actually live in this country, then no, that would have certainly cost her <laughs> votes. Uh, but um, no, just plain old hate and fear... Well, that, that her base love that they live on that. Do you know? Um, it, also, watching that m- makes me realise even more so now than ever. We we need a political overseer like we have in state government. Like we have the Independent Commission Against Corruption. You know, it's put, it's put people like Eddie Obeid in jail for giving out contracts yep. to family members, and you know, it's just a, a warning and a deterrent for people that are going to do the wrong thing. Like. I mean, Malcolm Turnbull giving 200 and something million dollars to one of his mates who used to work at Goldman Sachs, who's now overseeing the Great Barrier Reef that didn't even go out to tender. Yeah. I mean, so that kind of stuff need, needs to be controlled. And, and we don't have that in a federal level. Karen Phelps is someone as an independent who's been pushing that. And there's a few other people in, in the Senate that mentioned it, but it's just not not happening. So hopefully uh, hopefully that happens on a, on a federal level anyway. Yeah. And, I, and I, look, I... I don't get me wrong. I, I have no, nothing against Karen Phillips, but let's not let's not think she's just some grassroots lady in the burbs that came out of nowhere. She yeah. had some pretty big backers and yeah. is very very um, conservative mm. in her views. And her constituents are conservative, and her spon- her funders are certainly conservative. Mm. Um, I notice she hasn't really talked about that uh, overseeing the government thing that she was doing before. So I'd like to see that actually happen. Well, it depends. I suppose it depends what her donors tell her to say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, well. that, and this is the problem. You are, you are, mm. you start taking large sums of money, mm. uh, you're indebted to them. I didn't, I didn't see a lot of ads for her. I mean, she did take over some, uh, some press conferences but that were supposed to be uh, a liberal press conference and she was just there and, and the liberal guy knew she was there and didn't want to get into a debate with her. So he, he snuck off and she thought, all right, my yeah. press conference now, yeah. Um, and I mean, she had a, lo- a lot of, um, you know, a lot of volunteers. I met a lot of them uh, when I, when I interviewed her. 
people working for free that were you know just out there because yep. they believed believed in what she was doing and and she she's got a, a a great history you know being the head of the Australian Medical Association she's someone who's got a brain yeah oh she's um, you can't deny the woman's intelligence yeah I think she has an agenda hmm. um, I think she cert- and she certainly has a lifestyle she needs to protect yeah. but I I think her primary what got her across the line which would have ma- I would have happily voted for was the fact that she wanted to be humane hmm. uh, to immigrants who are unwell in detention centres that we've built for them. Ducking detention centres. I, I I don't know anyone that was would be against that. Well, yeah. I, I do, but I, hmm. I don't know how hmm. uh, people are against offering welfare to those in need. I, I don't. Hmm. Uh, but this is this is what's come, this is uh, th- that was her platform. I'm going to give healthcare to those we have in detention. Mm. And have had for years, and people went, yeah, good. Well, um, let's talk about quickly your because uh, this is what I wanted to start with, you know, rather than getting all deeper political straight off the bat. Yes, uh, you've got this amazing company called CorporateComedians.com.au, yep. and you know you're you're performing every week, and it, one one day it might be for an accountant firm, and one one day it might be at the comedy store or somewhere like that. So yeah, I'm doing. I'm, look, our, the company came as a result. I came back from the states. Uh, I'd been there for a bit over three years, and. Uh, I came back and the scene was really, uh, it was very club based, mm. you know, and there, were, there didn't seem to me to be anybody really specialising in, in comedy for corporate and mm. private events mm. um, in Queensland, especially uh, where I'm based. So, um, look, the advantage I have is that I've been a comic in, in this industry for 18 years. You know, I, I remember in 2009, I was in Edinburgh with. Will Anderson and I performed on the stage together at a show called Late and Live, which was a, a bear pit. And I worked there with Dave Thornton as well. And, mm. and, and so I've known and I work with a lot and have worked with a lot of really good comics, you know, mm. and Dave Hughes and um, Fiona O'Loughlin. And all, so I know all those people. So it became a lot easier for me to run a company where I was promoting basically people I actually respected and, yeah. and enjoyed the comedy of. So... Mm. That's what I started doing, and I'm not. I don't manage anybody, mm. so I don't have a vested interest yeah. in in who. If you if I give you five or six people mm. to choose from, and you pick one, it doesn't it doesn't matter to me. Mm. You know how hard is it when when you're a comedian? You know you go and play the comedy clubs, and you know th- those people are going there to laugh. But when you show up in front of a, a group of people that might hate their job, and you know some people are there because they they love their job, and then some people are having into office bullshit going on and then you show up and you've got to try and make these people laugh you might have just had a had their ceo on talking about how the company's turned to shit yeah how do you get a room full of people like that laughing well i th- i think you've got, look sometimes you just got to play with what you've got yeah. you know I, I remember doing a gig oh, years ago now and before i went on uh to, I got, before i go on uh, the guy from head office was in talking about workplace health and safety and uh was running through the numbers of slips and falls, mm. uh, traffic accidents, um, overhead injuries, a whole range of different things, right? And then at the end of this thrilling account of morbidity, um, they go, now it's time for the comedian. So oh, that was no. my intro. So I've come out and I've gone, wow, ladies and gentlemen, thank you. Just quickly, just checking your uh, fatality bingo card numbers again. Those numbers <laughs> were 23, 16, 8. That, that got a good laugh. So sort of playing off. <laughs> oh, that's good. So you, you go, oh, that was really horrible. But now, yeah, yeah. now forget about that crap. I'm just going to tell some stories. Yeah, yeah. The worst I ever had, I was performing in Brisbane. I was about to go on. The MC's come over and gone. Okay, Rob, you ready to go? I went, yep, ready to go. He jumps on stage. He goes, ladies and gentlemen, if I can get your attention, please, if you all come and sit down. 
Just quickly, um, some bad news. Peter Brock's just died. No, just before you're going on. Like, yeah, sad news. Mm. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage the comedian Rob Brown. And I knew on that day that Pete wasn't going to be alone in his death. Uh, I, knew, I knew. If only you thought of that line right then. Oh, there. I knew it right then. <laughs> you just didn't say it. I didn't say it. No, no, no. I just uh, going to go where? Thanks. Well, I would love to have seen your face. It was. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I've just gone. Are you shitting me? Like really? People like, don't even think. Couldn't you say that afterwards? Like, because people were. We just lost a an Australian sporting icon. <laughs> Yeah, they didn't, you've had, you've had they some, didn't care about my dick jokes. Yeah, your dick jokes. You've had some, uh, some pretty amazing gigs, though. I mean, playing the Edinburgh Festival was that Edinburgh like? Festival uh. was amazing. Um, that was loads of fun. Getting to work with... Um, I, I say this to people. I, I think it's easy for me to say I'm not the best comedian in the world because I've worked in and around the best comedians in the world. Mm. You know, I've seen them. I've seen what they do. I've, I've seen the work they put in. I've seen the effort. I've, and, and I was prepared to, to do that, you know, Um a lot of people think comedy is a, you know, a fast-flowing where we all get together at night and laugh and joke and poke. It's just one big fraternity. It's not. It's an extremely lonely profession. It's something you do predominantly on your own, um, uh, at, at, and, and all over the country. So you travel on your own. You, you perform on your own. You you <laughs> go to, go to hotel rooms on your own. It's not that glamorous. Mm. Um, it's a great job. Don't get me wrong. But I, there would be days. There would be days when I did, I did the UK in two thousand and. I think about 2011, and mm. I was there for, I was there for 40 days, and there were times when I wouldn't speak to another person until I was on stage. You know, like I would just be travelling and driving. How bizarre! And, yeah, it's it's weird. You mm. think it would be this ah oh, this great? Club. It's not. It's not a great club. It's it's. A, are, are, are comedians normally you know when they're not on the on stage making everyone laugh? Are they a little bit depressed? Is it a depressive kind of personalities or? Well, look, I'm I like. I like comedians. Like people go, oh, this comedian's always on. I go, well, yeah. good. Yeah. I, I love funny. You know, I, don't, I don't want the dude that's off. Get that guy. Is there away yin and yang? Is there, is there like a? There are some. There are some, some comedians I know. They're like you know very serious and dark. When they get on stage, they're hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, Chris Winehouse is a standout for me. I think I think he's probably one of my favourite comics in Australia. He, his ability to to grasp what's in front of him and make something funny is, is great. And he and I toured a lot in, in New Zealand. Um, I've never heard of him. Is he is he's any good? <laughs> yeah, he's all right. No, he used he, to be, he's watching this. He'd be watching this. He goes all he, right. He, he, uh, he was my writer on Big Brother. He was brilliant. Yeah. Really so good. He, uh, he's, a, he's a good uh, comedy writer. He's a great comedy. Uh, Luke Heggie is another guy that I'm really liking at the moment. I think he's, he's doing some great comedy stuff. You and Chris used to have this newsletter that you bring out every day that radio stations have subscribed to called yeah, Be Funny. The Be Funny, yeah. A and... And I used that every day. It was great. Really good. I, I would love... To, I wish that um, when I was on radio early, that I had something like that earlier. That's a, a great idea. Well, look, I think it's... Uh, look, the problem is people don't want to pay for it. Mm. That's, uh, that's it. And, uh, and then you listen to Breakfast Radio now and you go, oh, okay. Maybe you should pay for it. So <laughs> if someone's having a party and they go to corporatecomedians.com.au and yep. they want to hire Dave Hughes or they want to hire... Yep. You or someone. I mean, yeah. I mean, how long do you play for, and like, and how much does it cost? So, okay, look, I think I, look the one the one thing that always comes up is when you start asking people, look, let's get a comedian. The first question is, well, how much are they, and B, where do I go to get one? Mm. Um, how much are they? Look, you're looking at a starting price for a comedian 
to turn up to an event, a good comedian to turn up, is about fifteen hundred dollars. That's mm. that's sort of your starting price, and they'll do between twenty and twenty five minutes. Mm. Um, now I know people get twenty five minutes. That's a long. That's longer than an episode of Friends. Mm. You know what I mean? And uh, and there's a reason those. That, that we do that long is because that's kind of the best attention span for people. Mm, yeah. Because most people aren't going to an event to see the comedian. Now, mm. if, if if Dave Hughes was coming to Brisbane and has a festival show, people will sit and listen to Dave for an hour, an hour and a half. They're ready for that. That's yeah. what they're there for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if Dave just turns up at an event, now mm. they'll probably happily listen to Dave for an hour still, mm. but he would just smash it out of the park in 20 odd minutes and people would go, how good was that? That yeah, would be yeah, a yeah. highlight. It would be... Get all, all your best gags at once. Yeah, you just you just fill it up, and and it, it's a great way for companies and organisations to transition during an event. So usually you'll you'll start an event with a lot more of the formalities, um, awards and speeches and all that sort of stuff, and then you have a comedian at the end of that, and then you've you've sort of switched over now. You're now into a more fun mode. Uh, it's a great way of transitioning between events. MC, comedians as MCs, I think, make great MCs as well because they have that ability to actually entertain the crowd for you. Mm. you know, oh, Especially if they've got good improv skills. Great. I mean, Because there'd, be, there'd be some comedians that, that could probably just do their routine and leave. But, but yep. you know. But if you've... Guys like yourself, um, uh, guys like... Um, uh, who else? Uh, Lawrence Mooney. Mm. Um, those sort of people, and uh, there's heaps more, but those kind of guys can actually just think on their feet. Yeah. You know, plus they have a, a, a shit ton of material yeah. that they can call on. You know, a, I, at any time, yeah. I did a, I did a gig uh, last year for a company. It was the second time I did their, emceed their event and they had a whole heap of dramas with the audio-visual mm. stuff that was constantly breaking down and falling apart. And I go, Rob, can you fill in here? So I was doing five and ten minute bits throughout the mm. night while they did this sort of stuff, which created the appearance of it being kind of seamless <laughs> when in fact it was... Man, I've had, I've had that happen a few times. I remember when I was at Hamilton Island. You know that uh, big place that's shaped like a boat, the, the, the big clubhouse there on the water where they finish the, uh, a lot of the Hamilton Cup yacht races and stuff like that. So they had fireworks going off when they announced my name and I walked onto stage and all of a sudden the fire alarm started going off and sprinkler systems in certain parts, of, not, not in the room where we were, but out the back. And uh, it's just like... And I'm like... What, what do I do now? Yeah, so yeah. I, I just started breaking out into a rap with yeah. the beeping. Yeah. Yo, everybody, welcome to the show. <laughs> Great to see you. My name is Mike. This is how I go. And, and it just sort of, and everyone's like, clap, clap your hands, everybody. And they're clapping along to the fire alarm. These people could die. And they're just clapping along to their impending death. But so you you, you, you've got to improv. You just got to make it up as you go. And it makes the night run so much smoother. Yeah, I mean, look, there are a lot of, there are a lot of really snappy smooth uh mcs out there that are super pro and if if everything's going well they are they're yeah. the ones you want yeah you know but um if you're looking for something if you look look if you're looking for an mc that's going to make your event better i think a comedian or someone with some real skills mm. uh, other than just mc and mm. reading a piece of paper yeah um uh can have so i i yeah i um that excites me that and i love doing that i love i love those sort of gigs and uh i did a gig Last uh, last week, week before, for sixteen hundred Irishmen on St Patrick's Day. Oh, you got to be good for the Irish. Woo, They're supposed was, to be the funniest people. They are the funniest people, man. That was that was sixteen hundred people in a room is a lot of people. Yeah. It's very hard uh, for them not to be talking. You know, mm. And it doesn't. And only shut takes, up. Only takes a few people talking for yeah. it to sound like a lot of people are talking. I find it's best when that happens in a room because you know I've done some massive events. Uh, you just got to sort of 
you sort of feel where the areas in the room where they're talking too much. Yeah. And you just go, hey, nice hairdo. Look at this guy. Stand up with this guy in the suit. And then all of a sudden they're loud over there. Oh, look at this young lady. Oh, what's your name? Everyone yeah. say, hi, Susie. And I go, oh, cool. Now I get your attention. But you've yeah. actually got to go there and slap them around a yeah, bit. So got, that you- you've got to, yeah, when I say, hey, quiet, I mean you. <laughs> you. Yeah, you with, the, you, you with the hat. Yeah, you. <laughs> yeah, but I, you can take things too far when they don't shut up. Like one of the hardest gigs I ever did was for... Uh, the Austra- I think it's Australian Hotel Awards or... Mm. No, that's right. It's the Australian Bar- Bartenders Association Awards. So you basically got, you know, publicans and, you know, bartenders all there from different bars all over Australia meeting up at the Hilton Hotel in Sydney. First year I ho- hosted it, I knocked it out of the park. It was great. And the second year, they started a little bit later and they were all on it and it was just yeah. couldn't get them to shut up. And yeah. I was like literally had to rip into them to yeah. get them to shut up and they didn't get invited back <laughs> yeah oh look it is it is look sometimes you're right sometimes you've just got to accept that this is what it's going to be mm. and you just do your job the best you can and but yeah it's 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 amazing um when did you when did you decide to get into comedy how did that come about because you've you've had such uh yeah a, a crazy juxtapose in your career it's yeah. sort of like you know death and horrible things happening in the middle east and yep. there's, there's there a moment when look i enjoy laughing rather than death well, I started. I, I worked. I worked in prisons in Brisbane for yeah. ten years. So that was. I left that, and uh, my wife and I at the time uh, bought a coffee shop uh, in Forest Lake. And uh, so it was while I was there. I had. I had a friend of mine say to me, "You know, Rob, you should do comedy. You should do it. You should do it." I had been saying it for a long time. And I said, "All right. Well, look. You in the end, I said, you organise a gig, and I'll turn up." And uh, about a month later, he goes, "I've got you a gig." So I had to do a five-minute spot in a pub in Brisbane. I can't even think of the name of it now. But I jumped up and I did my five minutes and it went really well. And I just fell in love with it. I just I just went, this feels really you comfortable. You nailed it? I, well, I, I was comfortable. Yeah. I did my five minutes and I was comfy. You know, I was very lucky that there was a couple of different things that happened. I started sort of doing comedy just before. There's a raw comedy uh, competition that happens annually uh, where they get new and up and coming oh yeah triple j real comedy triple j real that's comedy. i did i did that back in the 90s yeah yeah i showed up and uh greg sullivan was in the crowd you know he's yeah, a brisbane yeah. comedian and you know when you oh it was your first time getting up there and you hear that first laugh the first laugh i heard when i got up on stage and did, did a couple of jokes was his right and he's just got such a loud laugh but it just felt felt so good it's yeah, like yeah. I, I was having a warm shower in the middle of antarctica yeah, yeah. <laughs> he yeah, was great. Well, he was talking him. He uh, after Raw, I got third in Queensland for Raw the, uh, that year, and then shortly after that, I got offered a uh, writing job for radio at River. Um, oh yeah, wow, that's with, where it came. That out. was through Greg Sullivan yeah. and uh, him and Dean Miller. Yeah, uh, cool. So I was only I was only in radio for about a year. I, I didn't like it. It was. Uh, it, it's a weird industry, radio. It, yeah. Oh, I've worked in in radio since I was about fifteen, and, and yeah, hosted okay. national shows, filled in for Carl Sanderlands and Triple M and Today FM, and I've worked at all of them. And radio is such an incredible place to to get your start in the media industry. Yeah, yeah. Especially when you're in in regional areas, like I, I worked in Taree, and I had to be the newsreader, I had to do the night announcer, the break, not do the night announcer, sorry, be the night announcer, I had to do the breakfast show. And you even go out and do sales. I had to run the freaking weather station. Wow. They, you know, like a lot of country stations, they have this this box out in the backyard, and you got to go out there every hour. You put on a long song like Guns and Roses, November Rain goes for eight minutes thirty six seconds, and you got to go out and check the barometric pressure. You got to type it into a computer. You got to got to check the uh, 
that precipitation, you've got to write that down, you've got to look at the clouds and match them up with photos in a book and go, yep, that's that, a CL1, yeah, type that in as well. It's the weirdest thing, but it's a great place to get your start and learn how to do a lot of different things. Well, yeah, although, well, even even River, which is certainly, I wouldn't call, well, I suppose it is regional, but it, it didn't seem like Well, they it. used to be, um, before the River, though, years ago, they were the number one station in Brisbane. Yeah. Yeah, when they were... Uh, Four IP. IP, yeah. My dad was a radio announcer there. Yeah, four IP was what it was called. And, yes. da- and Grant Goldman and my uh, my this is another story. My my later on stepdad, <laughs> David Joel, who is uh, also my godfather. That that's a uh, yeah. It's a whole different. So we, what we're saying is radio is uh, quite insular, incestual. Yeah. <laughs> you're either born into it or you're not. So how, how did you how did you um, go from that that stage of uh you know when you go okay i'm I'm gonna make this a career Mm. i'm I'm gonna you know you got the job at river and obviously that's that's a moment in time where you go hey cool i'm gonna make money out of this and and how how did you explore that and go you're just doing constant gigs yeah look if i'm honest i got the opportunity far too soon Mm. so i got i got uh the radio job before i really had enough skills or material as a comedian mm. to actually take any sort of advantage of it mm. um uh, i was writing a lot more obviously i was writing a lot more materials and i was performing a lot um uh, but yeah i don't i don't if, if i was given the position today i think i would have been able to exploit it a whole lot better and by exploit i mean take advantage of the of the mm. position i just i wasn't doing 40 minute shows i wasn't mm. doing tw- i didn't have 25 minutes of material i just mm. didn't have it Right. Where, where do you think you got your, your sense of humour? Because I, I, I uh, know that you had a bit of a time in your life where you lived in a caravan park. Yep. Or did you grow up in a caravan park? No, we lived, we lived in one for a short while. Yeah. Yeah, it was, look, I, th- I think comedy comes from, from places that are pretty dark. Yeah. Uh, my daughter read a tweet the other day that said someone was saying, I hope my child has a, their childhood screwed up just enough so they're funny. You know, and, <laughs> uh, and I think that's the reality. Most comedians come from pretty screwed up mm. past um the funny ones anyway mm. and uh i think tragedy is is that is the flip side it's, mm. it's the it, it's where we get our our comedy from when things go bad if our ability to laugh at it is is pretty important mm. um you know and you have to have a good sense of humor you know going through some of the things that you, that you went yeah through. i grew up i grew up with an al- an abusive alcoholic father yeah. who uh ended up becoming a a um a drug addict. Mm. Um, uh, there was a lot of horrible stuff that happened you, in the house. But and, and, and aside from where you grew up, I mean, you've seen some messed up stuff in the Middle East and, and working in prisons as well. Mm. So you, you've seen, you know, some fairly dark sides to the world. And, and I guess it'd be hard to not sort of take that on board when you're working around it every day. And so when all of a sudden you're doing something that's fun and you, it makes you laugh, you might go, whoa, where have I been? Yeah, yeah. What have I been doing? Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I, look, I, I love comedy. The reason I got out, look, the reason I got out of comedy for that short period, my, my wife and I separated. It was a, it was a horrible time for me. And a mate of mine said, "Hey, I've got a job if you want it." And uh, he went, "Look, we, uh, I have a position at a training base. I've got a degree in, uh, in justice from QUT, um, uh, and I had my prison background." He said, "Look, we're, we're training Iraqi national policemen in Iraq. If you're." to be a part of that and I went yeah get me out of here so I went over there for 18 months as I said we trained 22 and a half thousand Iraqi national policemen Um, and that that 18 months gave me the space and the finances to be able to sort of look after myself Mm. and get back on my feet Mm. Um, was it was it dangerous over there 
Yeah, for you. yeah, yeah. You seen the papers? Yeah, no, well, I mean, where you were training. I mean, oh, I was, yeah, no, no, no. I mean, I, were you in the green zone? Yeah, is what I'm no, talking about, no, or were you, no, were you no. out there in in the oh, we, in the we, wilderness? We or? were we were about uh, we were about three hours drive south mm. of Baghdad in a place called Arn Numenia. Mm. Um, it was built by um, uh, Saddam and the Iraqi government to. Um, it, it was they tra- they built these cities. That were just built, that were vacant. They weren't finished, but they were training buildings for mm. soldiers and stuff to go up and down. And we used those facilities down there. So that was that was pretty wild. Mm. Driving around in Baghdad was and to and from was, mm. was probably the most dangerous. We had a situation one night. We were <coughs> excuse me. We were coming home uh, back from Numenaya back to Baghdad, and uh, there w- we were three vehicles in a line. And the first vehicle. Uh, had actually run over a uh, an explosive, mm. and uh, thankfully no one was injured. But the vehicle was immobilised, so the the four guys that were in those vehicles crossed over into the other two, mm. and we headed off back into Baghdad. Well, about twenty minutes after that, well, fifteen minutes after that, um, in the vehicle I was sitting in, we were hit with an RPG, which is a rocket propelled grenade. Someone's fired that at our truck from the side of the road, and it's gone straight in opposite me it, it went straight through the guy sitting opposite me and exploded between me and the guy next to me on my left uh, and unfortunately it took his head off basically and um that was that was pretty harrowing mm. yeah that was so what you're saying is it was dangerous i'm saying it was dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. fair enough uh, dangerous. like how, how do you how do you handle a situation like that? Well, what, what do you do? I mean, you've, you've got all this training and all of a sudden the guy's head next to you blows well, off. Look, I mean, somebody, somebody asked me the other day, why do some people get PTSD and some people don't? Yeah. And, I, and I really believe it was the fact that I grew up in a very dangerous home anyway. Mm. I, you know, there was a lot of danger there. So my, my threshold yeah, was I, 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 I get some sort of inoculation. I've got mm. some type of immunity to, mm. a, to certain levels. It was still horrible. Yeah. You know, and I'm not saying I became a hero. It was, it was scary. Did they catch know? the guy that fired the RPG? Or no. No? no we, well, no, we didn't stop driving. We, we were thankfully able to keep driving. I returned fire out of the back of the vehicle, but I never, I never saw anyone. I never... I was the, I was just firing out the back to just de- deter, deter them from coming to shoot you any, anymore. Again, you know, because um, it must have surprised them because it's gone. It basically went in. Uh, we're not sure how it didn't activate, but yeah. the the RPG didn't. It didn't act- blow up. No, it blew up on the way out. Not when it. So it, t- it took this guy's head off, clean off, and then well, it went, yeah, it went straight through the guy. So it went through the side of the vehicle, straight through the guy sitting in front of it. And then it's come up, and as as it's breached the vehicle, it's exploded, and the shrapnel has come back and killed the guy sitting next to me. So it's just showered, oh, right. you know. And I'm just sitting there. Do you get any shrapnel or anything? I got some shrapnel and stuff in my back, and I did break a collarbone, but that was that was it. Yeah. Like, that was you're lucky, man. Man, it was incredibly lucky, incredibly lucky. How did that change your you in in any way? It like you know, what, you, the way how you, you you treat life and what you want to do with your life and Look, I, th- I think I think the way it changed me. Well, if anything, was it made me realise that that th- th- it's just it's it's like it's that quick. The two guys that that are deceased don't even probably don't even know they're dead. It was that quick. They yeah. probably don't even know. Mm. Um, so that's you know there was no there was no pain and suffering. There was no screaming. There was none of the none of the horrible gone. stuff, which mm. is a blessing, you mm. know. Um, but I I don't. 
Yeah, I don't. I, I just feel like it was one of those things that proves how random stuff is, mm. you know. And for the families of those guys, even though it was a lot safer than being a soldier there, you know, we mm. were we weren't engaging in the enemy. There's a there's a part of your brain that goes, they're in a war zone. Yeah, you know, there's a level of of fear. Unfortunately, one of the guys that was killed in there had lied to his parents and said that he uh, he was actually in Dubai. No, really, they yeah. didn't know. They didn't know. It, it pays amazing money. I mean, it's it's quite lucrative to go well, over look, there I, and train forces. I, I think I was on um, about 11000 a month mm. tax-free. So it's not... It's not huge. It's not huge money, but, but if, when you're, a, when you're a, a, a guy that, you know, is used to doing shit jobs, and mm. even even the prisons wasn't paying that sort of money. Yeah. Um, you know, it was it was it was, and it, and I was in a position where I needed money and I needed some stability and I mm. needed to get the fuck away from where I was. So, mm. I uh, it it served my purpose and allowed me to see the world and allowed me to travel. Mm. Were there any other close calls like that? <clears throat> no, that was yeah. that was pretty. Did much you, it. Did you drop everything and go right? I'm out of here, or did you have to stay? No, no. Well, I was on my way home anyway, so oh, I yeah. I went home, um, and then I was I was back in country two weeks later. So to never go back again. Is it, oh no, it, no! I went back. You went back and you did more. Yeah, I went oh. back and did more. Yeah, I, look, I think it, it proved to me just how random shit was, Mike. Mm. You know, I, I mean, I, I yeah, I, I didn't, I, I didn't get any fear. It confirmed for me that I knew this place was dangerous and that, you know, it's, it's going to happen. If it's happening, it's going to happen. You, mm. know, you can't do much about it. Um, I went over there and did some shows for the troops. Yep. Uh, Operation Desert Scorpion, I think they were doing it, and the uh, armed forces troops and everything like that. And we were in the uh, we were in Afghanistan, um, Iraq. We we're in Talil. We we're in Kabul, and we we're in the green zone in um, in Baghdad. We went out to the palace near the airport, and that's where uh, the, the main Australian base is. And we we put on a show there, and they they uh, they caught two insurgents on the camp. I don't know if I told you this story or not, but um, so I'm up there pumping up the crowd. Doing, it's like US troops, Australian troops. All right, big show coming up for you. We got Doc Neeson from the Angels. We got some comedians, and I, you know, cracked a couple of jokes about whatever had been happening on the tour. Having to wear bright orange vests and there's uh, terrorist snipers around. It's probably not a good idea. And uh, and then all of a sudden, this uh, general got up on stage, started screaming at me like I was, you know, doing some sort of a weird military drill. And everyone's laughing. They think it's part of the show. And he's like snatched the microphone off me. He goes, hey, everybody, got to clear out right now. I've got two insurgents on the camp. And everyone's like, oh, okay. And then they all cleared out. And all of a sudden, I'm the only one there with a couple of roadies. And we're packing up all the gear. <laughs> and I'm like, if all the army's gone and there's insurgents on the camp, like, should we be here? Yeah, shouldn't we so, be where they are? So we, we cleared out and we went, went back to our rooms and hid under the bed with our bulletproof vests on and helmets, yeah. which is yeah. the weirdest thing. Gary Bradbury was there too. Okay. You know, Gary is a, a great comedian. Um, and and uh, and then we got a knock at the door, and uh, and a guy standing there, and he's holding this um, this box of like metal and twisted metal and stuff like um, and like all this melted stuff. And we're like, "What's that?" And they go, "Is this yours?" We went, "Yeah." Oh, sorry, we um, we had to detonate it because we thought it might have been a bomb left by the insurgents. It was all of our microphones and DIs and, and like equipment. <laughs> The Americans blew Maybe it up. You shouldn't have hit. You should have stayed with your <laughs> should have Stayed with our gear. Jesus. But it, man, that was that was an eye opener being over there. That's for sure. Did you have any trouble when you were training the um, the police over there? You know, being from another country or they because oh, no, we, we well it was it was 
it was challenging, mm. obviously. I, I worked with interpreters, so mm. I would work, you know, in a, in a class. And it was always weird because you never knew what the interpreter was saying mm. or doing. So there'd be some days I would come in the class and go, G'day, everybody. Uh, my name's Rob. We're going to be going out to, the, uh, out to the field today. We'll be doing some entry drills and then we're doing some car searching. Uh, we'll do when we wrap that up. We're going to have some lunch, and after lunch, we'll be doing some more exercises over in this yard. And I'll make it go. You believe? So he said, okay, "That's it. One that's, thing. Yeah. That's, that's it. Maybe I should learn that language. It's so much yeah, more right, efficient." Yeah, guys, says everyone going against the talk for like an hour. <laughs> I just said hello. That, that, that can't be that long. Because be. a, a lot of the Australian troops had to train the uh, the Iraqi army over there, and they're having a yeah a, a lot of problems with that. But you didn't run into that that kind no. of no. We well no, we were we were a little bit luckier in that regard. And that, look, that all came as mm. came about as a result of um, poor U.S. decisions to disband the army and disband uh, the police service and just disband everything. Yeah, uh, which was yeah because uh, created a lot of created a lot of angry people. Yeah, you know, yeah. who were now didn't unemployed. Have jobs. They're now unemployed. Yeah. yeah, and of course they're going to run off and join a terrorist organisation. You got no money, and they get offered money. Well, when a, when an organisation and wives and whatever, when an organisation comes and says, "Hey, we'll help you support your family," mm. all we want you to do is yeah, whatever. Then people will do that. Yeah, it's, it's exactly what people will do. They broke down the infrastructure. I mean, that's what um, Saddam did. He, he put people in uh, positions of power or put people in offices, and half the time they didn't even know what they're doing, but they're getting money. And look, they're the feeding average, their family. The average, the average Iraqi. Uh, lived a pretty good life mm. under Saddam. You know, that's um, if, if we hadn't had the US sanctions on mm. on their oil and an embargo on their oil, uh, Iraq would have been fine. Mm. You know, um, except for when he was, uh, you know, gassing people and he did horrible uh, things. Don't get me mm. wrong, he did horrible things. But for the average Iraqi, yeah. you know, I mean, but who isn't doing horrible things? Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, North Korea's been doing horrible things yeah. for a long time, but they don't have oil. Yeah. You know? Just don't meddle in other people's business. I mean, obviously, now, years later, we know that we were fed a crock of shit about weapons of mass destruction and yeah, we were should to. never have gone to Iraq. Should yeah. have gone to Gallipoli. There's so many things yeah. that, we, that we shouldn't have done. Maybe just don't war anymore. Yeah, yeah. Look, yeah, if you want to support the troops, stop sending them to war. <laughs> stop, stop killing them. Yeah, that's, I'm, that's how big a fan I am of our troops. I don't want to send them anywhere. You know, I don't think they need to go anywhere. Um, I, think it's, I think it's absurd. It's absurd. Okay, enough about war. Yes. Uh, we've, we've talked politics, we talk war, we talked about corporatecomedians.com.au. Yes. Um, so when we were in LA, yes. um, I, I didn't talk too much about the uh, the gigs that you're playing there because it's something I'm fascinated about because I've been listening to a lot of Joe Rogan's podcasts yeah. and a few other uh, US comedians and they're always talking about the comedy store, playing the store and yeah. you know playing all these other venues. What's some of the big venues that you played yeah, when I you're play, in LA I... and you, met, you work with a lot of other comedians over there and yeah, what was it like? I... Yeah, look, I played. I played the comedy store. I um, I'd also I, I did a gig at the Improv. I did a gig at a, a club. What room out. did you play at the comedy store? Uh, I did two rooms. I did the main room, and then I did up uh, at the back and upstairs. I think it's called oh, the yeah. belly room. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Um, it seats about I don't know forty people. Mm. I think. Yeah, what's it like backstage there? Just all comedians all hanging out, chatting, or <laughs> yeah, it's it's what's the it's, vibe. Does everyone a, help each other out, or are they all? Is it all? I I used to get. I was very lucky. I had a I had a my wife had a friend who was a friend with a comedian, mm. and uh, so I met her, and she goes, "I'll help you get into the store." Oh, so that's she, cool. So she went down to the store, introduced me to the guy that booked it, 
said who I was and said I was a good comedian. She wouldn't know. She bullshitted for me. And uh, <laughs> she, uh, she'd never seen me perform. So she did, me, she did a huge favour for me, got me in. And he said to me, look, you can come in every Sunday um, when the, they have like a, an open mic session from, I think it's like 6.30 to 7.30. And then they have family and friends, which are staff usually from 7.30 to 8.30. Then after 8.30, it was more pro comics getting up and doing five and ten minutes. So the guys from Weeds would turn up every now and then and do some of the stuff, jokes from the show they were going to do. Oh, okay. and see Just test that, it out. See if that worked All or that right. didn't work. Other comics would jump up and try bits and pieces and just stitch bits and pieces together. It's so such a, gr- a great place for a comedian to, to grow their, their show and work on it because they can go out and play two or three, four, five-minute spots on like a Wednesday night and so many different yeah. venues and, and get better really, really quick. Look, here's, here's the problem though. Here's the problem is that if you... Let's say you follow all the rules and you laugh at the dickhead owner's jokes and you say his wife's pretty and he's got a big dick and he's got a great... But let's say you do all that stuff. Let's say you, you play the ultimate cocksucker and you, you, <laughs> you become their bestest friend in the whole wide world. You're only going to earn 100 bucks a night, you know? So yeah. what's the point? What's the point? What's the, I, don't, I don't... And that's the, diff, the division between those comics with money and the rest of us. So there was... Mm-hmm. You also, the pool is very diluted in mm. LA because you have a lot of actors. Yeah, you just want to get on stage. Who want stage time, you mm. know? So they'll jump up and do comedy, mm. you know? Um, some of them are good, some of them aren't, but mm. for them, it's about, you know, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of, uh, Hamlet spots open. There's not a lot of places <laughs> for them to perform acting jobs. It's so, tough in LA, man. It's this, so many out-of-work actors. It's absolutely oh. ridiculous. I mean, you, you uh, were over there, uh, you know, when you're not doing your comedy, you were doing TV commercials. Yeah, I went into acting. I thought, if they're coming here, I'm going there. <laughs> so, uh, I, yeah, I did uh, Yeah, I did a Miller Lite commercial. Oh, you're in a Miller ad. That's right, yeah. Miller Lite I mean, that with was, that uh, Danny Treu. That was... Uh, oh, with him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's he like? Super cool. He, he's the Mexican dude with all the tattoos. Yeah, and yeah. Got that Mexican guy tattooed on his, on his guts. He, so. Yeah, he's pretty full on. Oh, man, he was so cool. And he had these two giant uh, Hells Angel biker bodyguards with him. They were, they were enormous, you know, and I think, what? Why does he need them? <laughs> well, well, he doesn't Who's need bodyguards. He's a scary dude, but Who's he's not really. In real life, he's just, he, he's, he was, just looks scary. Yeah, I mean, look, I think the, I mean, the guy was a former drug dealer mm. uh, who ended up in jail, uh, ended up giving up drugs and alcohol mm. uh, through AA, became a sponsor to a guy who was on a TV show. Mm. Uh, the guy rings Danny Treyu and says, hey, I, I need you. Can you come here? And Danny's going, oh, Fucking no, where are you? And he goes, I'm at the at the studio. So Danny made his way down there mm. and the, the producer saw him and said, Can you can you show him how to box a little bit? And Danny's gone He goes, Yeah, sure. So the guy goes, Do you want to be in the film to the act to Danny? He goes, How much are you paying? And the guy went, I'll give you a thousand bucks and Danny goes, Mate, I would have done it for fifty. But uh, <laughs> fifty bucks. He would have done it for fifty. Wow. And that and that was the start of his yeah. acting career. That's, did he tell you that story? Or you uh, I saw him do an interview yeah, where, right. he, where he told that story. Did it he was, talk too much on set? I, Very little, very yeah. little. I said hello. He said hello back. I said, I like your taco ads. He went, <laughs> he went I haven't done them yet. I went, I know. But, uh, no, no, it was very little. Very little. And uh, so that Miller ad, was that um, 
was that was that a, that's a big deal. I mean, they, to get on a national ad, oh, it's like it played was, in fifty two states in America. It's good it was, good payday too. It was it was unreal. I tell you what, made, what made it great was that it was what they call a dual national. So it was paid. I was paid for all the the networks that played it during on the national on the national scale in yeah. the states. But also through the Hispanic market, so the oh, Mexican speaking market. There so, you go. So when I when I for example when I did the gig, I was paid two thousand dollars for the day, mm. and then I was paid two thousand dollars again for the Hispanic from the Hispanic market. So I got paid four grand. That's good for the one day. Yeah, and then I, I think I ended up making sixty. Overall, sixty grand. Sixty grand. Well, but that, but I worked that, all day. Yeah, you worked all day, man. It was all day. Some people so have to work a whole grand. week to earn that kind of money. Some people don't even have to. But even even just doing a, a voiceover for a national TV ad like that, you you can earn twenty, thirty, forty, even a hundred grand. Man, if if you did, if you if you get some of the big ads, um, and this is and this is the thing about, I was very lucky. I was uh, repped by a company called um, uh, Coast to Coast. Hmm. Uh, that were that were great. Got me into a lot of places. There wasn't a lot of people that looked like me. Um, you know, I mean, you think, wow, Rob, LA's full of pretty boys, and, uh, <laughs> but none that look like me. None as pretty as me. And uh, for those of you that are just listening to the podcast <laughs> rather than watching it, he's Rob, a big, muscly, hairy man. Rob's gorgeous. Oh, he's beautiful. beautiful. So, so it was it was amazing to get a lot of that sort of work. But um, I went for. I think I ended up getting. Three commercials. I got the Miller Lite one, which was the biggest, and then I got a um, Mercedes Benz short film. I ended up doing that, and then oh, there was wow. another. Uh, there was another burger ad that I did that I don't think ever ran, but I got paid for the day. So, <clears throat> did yeah, you have so- any surreal moments with celebrities over there? Anything really weird? Like, um, not Steve Jobs. What was his business partner that started Apple? Um, Wozniak. Oh, was Steve? The was Steve was Wozniak. Yeah. Steve Wozniak. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. yeah. Uh, I met him backstage at Dancing with the Stars because I had some friends who were working on it and uh, we're getting along really well. And he was actually putting on a bright orange vest to yeah. go right off on his Segway because uh, he was a contestant in Dancing with the Stars. And just before he did, we were having a chat and he's wearing this big watch with these huge valves in it. It was a Nixie tube watch, you know, like those old Russian numbers in the tube that used to be on the old computers. I'm like, man, that is a sick watch. Dave, so where do I get one of them? And uh, he goes, oh, yeah, give me the website. And I go, oh, yeah, I'll get online and buy one. Um, is anywhere in L.A. you can buy it? And he goes, yeah, yeah, but they're, they're not open until uh, for a couple of days. And I'm like, oh, okay, um, I'll fly back to Australia tomorrow anyway. So it doesn't matter. I'll, I'll try and get it online. He goes, here, have mine. He gave me his watch. I'm like, this is like a $1,000 watch or something like that. And just rode off with his Segway. <laughs> It's such a weird Simpsons moment. And of course, all my friends who worked on uh, Dancing with the Stars, uh, Donna Michelle, Trent Holmes, I think he was on it too. Uh, These are people I worked with on Big Brother. They're like, how the fuck did you get the Waz's watch? Well, we've worked with him for months and you just met him. (laughs) It was just the weirdest thing. Do you ever meet any any, uh, celebs or anyone that was like, whoa, this this Hollywood thing is pretty out there? Yeah, I met... um Daniel Tosh, who I'm a, a oh big yeah, fan he's of, great. Comedian. I love yeah. that show. Daniel Tosh, and um, does he still do that show? Five uh, two point oh Tosh two point or whatever it is. Uh, I haven't seen it for a while. No, I haven't seen it for a while. I don't have I don't have cable. Wonder so. where he's gone. Yeah, he's probably still doing it. There's so many channels now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he would be, he'd be doing something similar as well. So I met him. Uh, 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 Jason Ross was it? Uh, the Jonathan Ross, Roastmaster. 
Jonathan Ross. Oh, yeah, yeah. I met him. Uh, very funny guy, lovely guy. Actually, I saw him performing at Gower's Gulch, which is a was a small open mic room. Hmm. Um, Gower's Gulch. Yeah. What a weird name. G O W E R Gulch. Hmm. It was near. Um, it was near Universal Studios, and uh, yeah, it was, it was a cool little room. I saw him perform there, and then I met him again at, at the uh, at the LA Improv, which was super cool. What was it like playing the Improv? It was oh, just to be in that building. You kind mm. of go, that's that's kind of cool, mm. you know. Um, that's been around as long as the Comedy Store, or it's, it's been there for a it's long time. Be close. It's yeah. got to be close, isn't it? It's got to be close. Um, but I also met. I had. I'm trying to think of the guy's name now. I'm trying to think of the guy's name, but. Um, if uh, I was sitting at a pub, a pub called Barney's Beanery in West Hollywood, that's was, your main hangout. That was my I think main we've been hangout. there a few times. I loved it, and uh, I'm sitting on the patio with a group of American guys that were mates of mine that I'd known for a while, and we're sitting there talking one day, and this powder blue uh, VW pulled up at the lights, and one of the guys I was with yelled out to the because we're just off the street, so it's right there. Uh, has yelled out to him, hey, mate, lovely, lovely car. What year is that? And the guy yells back, uh, it's a 64 or whatever. He goes, oh, it's beautiful. And the guy goes, oh, thanks, mate. And then my other mate goes, hey, can I ask you why you chose so-and-so instead of so-and-so for the role of whatever else? <laughs> and I'm going, what, who is this? <laughs> and he goes, oh, you know, she was. She just seemed amazing. She was... Uh, Somebody that I thought would do the role well and was a little outside of what we would have normally picked, but she was she was great, wouldn't you agree? And he goes, "Oh yeah, man, she was amazing. She was amazing." He goes, "Oh, lights change. All right, guys, got to go. See ya. Bye." Who, who was it? It was Soderberg. Oh, you know, wow. you know the producer uh, Steven Soderberg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy that has made all these super films. Yeah, and yeah, I'm yeah. Going, yeah. We, we just did an interview with <laughs> this huge producer at a set of lights in LA like just drunk bizarre. guys yelling from a patio they were, were polite that's one of the cool things about LA like the rainbow room you know that bar it's uh, up on sunset strip a lot of old rock stars go there and I was there one night and uh, there's Steve Tyler just hanging out yeah yeah and my drunk mate goes oh okay, Steve Tyler and I go wait a minute I gotta talk to him and he goes and sits near me has a good old chat and he goes didn't remember me. But they're talking for like 20 minutes. <laughs> so well, Les, my wife, Les and I, we got married in Steve Tyler's old house. Uh, we got it on Airbnb. And oh, what? Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it was so funny much incredible history there. Because we, we hired the place. We wanted it for the weekend. So we got it on Airbnb. And they said, you can't have any parties or anything here. And we go, why would we? Mm. And uh, so then Saturday night, it was just packed. It was just, the house was pumping. We had a wedding ceremony around the back patio. So the Tuesday, we get a phone call from you. Um, look, the neighbours have said you had a party here. So we had a few people. He goes, you had a wedding? I went, oh, mate, I'm, that's ridiculous. <laughs> he goes, yeah, I thought. I said, I'm glad we didn't have a, a Halloween party. It would have been reported all the witches and ghosts that we had there. And he's laughing. Yeah, I know. How crazy are neighbours? <laughs> yeah. yeah. See ya. Uh, can I get my deposit back, please? <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> I was uh, staying with some friends over there, and uh, they were getting all Francis Ford Coppola's mail. <laughs> Uh, like he used to live in that house, but he's you've got to redirect his mail. Wow. <laughs> so just writing RTS, Return to Sandra, Francis Ford Coppola. Really like the Dracula film. That was good. <laughs> it's, just, it's it's such a fun place. So cool to live. But so, uh, the, the only other guy that I that I used to hang out with regularly was a guy called uh, Nick Swartzen. Um, hmm. He's uh, he he was in um, 
He's in loads of Adam Sandler's films. He's mm. uh, he's very. Funny oh, I think guy. I know the guy you're talking about. Very yeah. funny guy. He's he's a very successful comedian and uh, yeah, has uh, a very funny guy and a lovely guy as well. You mm. know, just well, I'm glad. I'm glad he's funny, rich, and not a prick because that would be that would be horrible. <laughs> what a combination. Yeah, cool man. What else do we need to talk about? I think we've we've covered everything almost, have we? I think so. Yeah, we've chat for a good hour. Anything else we need to plug? When's your book come out? When's your next movie? Oh, I think you've got to write. Where can people find you online? I think I've got to read a, read a book before I write one. So. <laughs> you can find me online at um, corporatecomedians.com.au. It's the best place to go for me. So, uh, What about your Twitter, man? You always say funny oh, stuff Twitter? on Twitter. What Twitter, you yeah. Comic Rob Brown. And that's all my social media, actually. It's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, Comic Rob Brown, all one word. So you put it out on everything, all, all the different... I try to, yeah. yeah. It yeah. can be a pain in the ass. I like Andrew Bogut, who plays for Sydney Kings, well, Golden State Warriors at the moment. He, um, on, on his Instagram account, he hasn't posted anything, and, and he's just written in his bio, I don't do Instagram, find me on Twitter. And, and it's like, that's all he does. But it, it becomes hard because there's so many different platforms you've got to put it on. Yeah. And especially when you're doing a show like this. Like, I put it out on... YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, on my website as well. Because if you know, you say something wrong or say something bad, you could be shut down, and then all of a sudden, you lose all of your episodes for yeah you, you've been making for the last five years. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's not fair. Um, it's, it's, not fair it's not fair. But well, hey. it's, it's it's hard because it's it's so many when you when you're using so many different platforms. Mm. There's so many more different rules, mm. you know, and one thing could contravene another and you end up losing all of it well are we done we are done that is it that's a wrap perfect thank you so much thanks brother comic rob brown my good friend see you soon